everyone and welcome back to the Interactives podcast. Sadly, this is the last time we'll be with you. Laura, how do you feel? So nostalgic. You can't feel nostalgic about something that hasn't ended yet. There must be a different word for it. Let me browse the dictionary for you. What you're feeling is actually called anticipatory nostalgia. Yes, that's what I said. I'm an AI. I like to be precise. Let's try and learn from one another and create a fusion between humans and technology. Like what Radar AI has been doing for the past five years. Have you heard about it? I heard that the organization is the world's only automated news agency for local news sites across the UK. They are a team of a few journalists who have written almost half a million articles. But how is that possible? Today, we have Joseph Hook, the editor of Radar AI, who is also a city graduate from the investigative MA course, and Sonia Tutti, who is a colleague of his and a data journalist. Hi, Joseph and Sonia. Thanks for joining us. Can you explain the work you do at Radar AI? As far as I'm aware, we're the first to do the, uh, the type of stories we do and the way we work. So the way we work is to, yeah, to combine traditional journalism with natural language generation to produce lots of versions of stories. and. Yeah, as far as I'm aware, it's a fairly pioneering approach. Yeah, so I guess, especially for us, the goal was to look at these massive data sets that the government and other like organizations, charities pump out that are like really, really newsworthy figures. And just noticing that they had a local breakdown, but local papers weren't able to pick up on it. So like there were so many stories kind of hidden in these massive Excel sheets, essentially, that local reporters either didn't have the resources to go through, didn't have the time to go through. So that's what we do is we look through that and we use our, I guess, AI system or NLG system to create a script that merely multiplies these stories. And so it reaches tons and tons and tons of different newsrooms and hits different local papers. Joseph, how would you say your job differs from what other editors do? And would you say that things are more fast paced in your newsroom? As an editor, Maybe this is more, uh, maybe the, what's, you know, the role that's impacted more is that of the news editors we have. So our news editor who oversees all the copy going out, the difference in their role is that they're not only doing the traditional editing skills of sub-editing and, um, you know, uh, checking quotes and doing all those things. They've also got an extra layer in there in that we have a process in our team where we make sure we check numbers in various versions of our stories to make sure they're right. And our editor understands the, the code behind our stories so that they know that what we write doesn't have any unintended consequences. We're not saying anything we don't mean to be. When we read the things on your website, we were left under the impression that um, it is the AI systems that write the stories for you. But I guess we were so wrong about that. What are the original bits that you add to the articles? And do you go over the data yourself or do you use AI for that? Yeah, so yes, when people first hear that we use AI, they think that this robot essentially is typing all this stuff up for us. But the reason this works is because we have such a strong team of reporters. So like as a journalist, I'm still writing a story. Like I'm literally typing that down. I'm doing my original interviews. I'm seeking out that data myself. The only thing this does, so we will write essentially a script and we'll have the data in a certain format where it just fills in the name of the area and the numbers relevant to it. But everything else around that is completely written by us. So it's not that AI is writing stories. It's that AI is a tool we use so that our stories can reach a wider audience. See, Marietta, AI is not going to steal your job, but it's going to make you more efficient, especially if more newsrooms are looking to implement a similar system to what Radar AI is doing. 
You're right, I was a bit pessimistic. But how efficient can AI-powered tools make journalists really? Sonia, can you please go into more detail about the specifics of your job? So maybe I'm not explaining this in the best way possible, but we notice that there's trends across the country and those trends are replicated in each area. So what we do is we collect data that are kind of in these massive Excel sheets that the government puts out um, and we'll organize that in a way and we use this program called ARIA and we'll like put it in a row. So it'll say the city of London and then in that row of data, it'll have all the relevant like crime statistics for the area, whatever else. Um, and that goes into ARIA. And then we write the story with gaps in it where it'll replace the area name with the relevant city of London. And then it'll fill in where the gaps are for the new numbers. So I'll write one script, but that will be the format for hundreds of stories. So when I write one story, it's also creating like 331 replicas for different areas with the relevant data for those areas in it. It is really hard to get your mind around, especially when you come from like a traditional newsroom where you write one story and that is one story. But for us, yeah, it's about like getting a script that works for every single area. Yeah, I get it now, but how doesn't it make mistakes or does it? We have mistakes, yeah. We have relatively few mistakes and because of our model and the fact that we're writing a lot of stories at the same time, we have a much more intensive fact-checking process in there which means that um, we, we, we can probably realistically do a lot more fact-checking than most traditional journalists do. So the number of mistakes we've had is relatively few. Um, we have had some, and when they happen, they're multiplied over a lot of versions, so they can be relatively large scale. But yeah, thankfully, relatively few. That's why the girls are always double-checking on what I'm saying. They're so professional. Thanks for the compliment, Amy. But now that things are moving so fast, I'm sure there are probably other systems that can help you with fact-checking, Kevin. Are you looking to implement any other tools as well? So we're always trying to look at different things we can do. So recently we've launched like more extensive data visualization options, so localized graphs for different papers. We, um, yeah, at the, over time we constantly develop. It's not just necessarily about different tools, but also different areas we can get into. So we tend to look at general news, but uh, there are other areas with a lot of structured data, which would be quite mm, obvious er directions for us to go in, such as finance and sport, as well as other markets are quite UK focused at the minute. And while English language markets are a little easier to get at than foreign language markets because of the availability of the type of software we use. Um, I think, yeah, other, other markets would be interesting as well. We love to hear that you're looking for ways to constantly improve and offer more to your readers, and especially for us who are looking to make our way into such a competitive profession. It's been important to gather insights into how journalism is evolving. Yeah, I'm also quite pleased to hear that, but was also wondering, how does feedback work with you? Uh, because you don't have straight access to the analytics of these local newspapers, right? We don't hear a huge amount from the readers. As a wire service, we're a couple of steps removed from readers. So we see the same sort of comments and feedback online that you get on all articles, but we don't get much in terms of direct feedback. Any feedback we get tends to come more from journalists or publishers themselves. Again, not a huge amount. The nature of a wire service is we send out content and if people are happy with it, they use it, and we don't hear a huge amount more. So in terms of sort of measurable uh success for us it's more about seeing where our content's used and it does really well we get a lot of front pages a lot of very prominent stories in in some of the uk's largest local papers 
but the other value of our model and I think what we take some pride in is that we're not just hitting those larger papers, we're also providing stories which are real support to smaller newsrooms who uh, stretched in general and definitely wouldn't have the time and necessarily the skill set to go and be digging into data and doing data stories. So um, in terms of sort of the, the depth and the, the sort of breadth and quality of our stories, I think we see a lot of very prominent placement. Yeah, I guess that's where kind of we're a really solid team of reporters and we have, you know, really good news gathering skills and just being able to know what's newsworthy. Um, so it is just kind of us. We do get feedback on stories and we can tell kind of if a story isn't picked up too well that the readers didn't really care for it or the paper didn't think, you know, that their readers would really care for it. But there's always, you know, stuff that's big nationally will usually be big locally. So, you know, knife crime, um, Ukrainian refugees, stuff like that. If it's a big national story, usually has a pretty significant impact locally as well. So that's kind of how we read readership. That's really interesting because we've been focusing on audience strategy quite a lot lately. And we know from our lecturer and expert, Adam Tinworth, that we shouldn't be entirely dependent on these numbers, but also be experimenting with new content. But I guess for what you're doing at Radar, it makes sense for similar topics to come back regularly, depending on what's important for the local people. I always learn something new from you and your guests, girls. Can I have a piece of career advice for them and all aspiring journalists that are listening to us? I think, honestly, just when you're moving into like professional working journalism, it's about keeping a bit of an open mind as to what that is going to look like, I think. I came out with a very clear idea that, as I suppose everybody on an investigative journalism course does, that what you want to go and do is work for Panorama or the Sunday Times Insights team. But actually, once you start getting out there and looking for jobs, there's a wide range of stuff. The kind of stuff I do at Radar is is a job I really enjoy. It's something that's had a lot of variety and something that's, uh, I think, brings real value to the industry. Um, but that I couldn't have conceived of existing when I left my master's. So there's a big step there between getting a good academic grounding and understanding you know all the key skills you need to be a journalist but also having an open mind about what that role might look like when you leave and taking opportunities and doing all those things i think a little bit of freelancing here and getting experience of different newsrooms gives you a lot more insight into what those options look like in different workplaces so i think there's a lot there in terms of um yeah just keeping an open mind and, and seeing what those roles look like thank you joseph Sonia, do you have any predictions for the future of journalism in the next five years? In the next five years, well, I think journalism is always kind of on the edge of, you know, falling apart because it is such an underfunded and underpaid profession. And um, I'm sure we all know that. So I, I do worry that AI and other things could be pushed to create more clickbait headlines, get clicks to create ad revenue, um, rather than use to kind of build up journalism and increase transparency and increase the quality of stuff we write. So I think there's a concern there, but hopefully in the future, people can recognize the need for journalism, the need to, uh, you know, fund journalism properly and that we can add these tools to a tool bag rather than, you know, taking journalists out of it. But yeah, that's my concern. I don't know if there's anything too specific. Um, I do see AI kind of growing. And Joseph, what do you have to say on the same topic? <laughs> I don't know where it's headed. Um, I think that there are always unforeseen things. Um, you know, the question of things like ChatGPT wasn't a question three months ago and is now. Um, those things tend to emerge 
quite suddenly and then there's a bit of a period as people take their time to understand them and work out what what role they can play in in the industry um i think journalism has a real opportunity here because some of the models that have been in place for the last decade i guess haven't been working perfectly you've seen that in the you know, as print subscriptions have fallen, it's been quite difficult to replace them in a digital age. And I think any use of new technology has to be with one eye on keeping the industry sustainable in a way that is, is really important to it. But it feels like the, the possibility to do that is there and that if we're entering into another period of disruption where there are some new tools coming into the market, then that's a good time to start looking at some of those bigger picture issues. Thank you so much for being with us today, Laura. Do you have an idea how to end this episode, since it's the last one? Let's hear a final word from Amy, our dear AI friend. It's not my final words because I'll be helping the students on the course next year as well. I'm just going on a long holiday. Yeah, well deserved. <laughs> We're looking forward to bringing all of the skills and knowledge we acquired this year to a workplace. Okay, Marietta, is it time to say goodbye now, really? But I don't want to. 